Today's episode is about employee experience and the impact that it has on customer experience. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer and employee experience to tease out the core principles and apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. Today, we are joined by the legendary Quint Studer. I can honestly say that this is probably the closest that I've been to fanboying with a guest before we did the show. And Quint did not disappoint. But our technology freaking did. We managed to stitch together a quality episode for you guys. But as we were recording, it kept cutting out. And we wrapped the episode pretty abruptly. Um, We're hoping to find time to do a round two soon. That way we can go much deeper into some of the topics that we hit on here. That said, who is Quint Studer and why was I so excited for this episode? Well, Quint is a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, and he's an expert in delivering quality experiences for both customers and employees. He's a man with many titles, but most relevant to you, our loyal listeners, he is the co-owner of the AA baseball team, the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and he's the founder of the healthcare consulting group, the Studer Group. Let's start with a little context on the Studer Group because I would venture to say most of you have probably never heard of them. Um, I first came across the Studer Group when I was pitching against them for patient experience projects at Disney Institute. Like a sports team has fan experience, a hospital or a healthcare organization has patient experience. Quick tangent on patient experience because it is part of what gives Quint's insight so much weight. All right, so let me explain patient experience a little bit. Uh, Patient experience at healthcare organizations is super important, largely because of something called HCAPS. HCAPS, spelled H-C-A-H-P-S, are basically the standardized patient satisfaction surveys that measure the patient's perspective on the experience of the care that they received, much like a customer survey or a fan survey. And like most customer surveys, HCAPs shed light on areas of improvement for the healthcare organization to get better. But with the Affordable Care Act, HCAP scores take on a new light because they're partially tied to Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement. So if your scores stink, the amount of financial reimbursement that your healthcare organization receives is going to be negatively impacted and potentially in a big way. Your HCAP score isn't just a snapshot for how your patients feel or an indicator of how you're doing. There's a there's real money involved based on the scores that you get. All right, so back to the Studer Group. Quint was a healthcare administrator who led drastic turnarounds at multiple healthcare organizations from low HCAP scores to high ones. He started the Studer Group after massive success as an administrator, and the Studer Group went on to become the leader in patient experience, helping hospitals and healthcare organizations all around the world improve their patient experience. Now, Quint ended up selling the Studer Group, uh, and he's been working on a bunch of different projects since then, which we'll get on in the podcast and I'll touch on later in this intro here. 
But what I love about Quint's approach to patient experience is that it starts with the employee experience. He's going to explain this, but the only way that your team is going to deliver a great experience for customers is if you're delivering a great experience for them. And that's core in everything that Quint talks about. If you're maniacally focused on creating a culture of service where you constantly are working to equip and empower your team with tools and skills to be great, if you're always looking for barriers that you can remove to make it easier for your team to do their jobs, that great customer experience that you're looking for, that's going to come. Now, if you read any of Quint's books or blogs or watch his speeches or look at his approaches to culture, employee experience, customer experience, you're going to see that it's really dense, actionable content. Now, we've all read books and articles that say, be nice to your people and they'll be nice to your customers. That is not Quint's work. You're going to find yourself going back and rereading his content because it's real, it's technical, it's instructional, and it's detailed. Yeah, it definitely has a bit of motivation and inspiration to it, but it's not an ambiguous, you can do it type of approach that a lot of gurus and keynote speakers take. It's you know grounded in his background in patient experience. The approach that Quint takes to culture is directly related to dollars and results. So it's real. Now, because of our technical difficulties, we didn't really get to do a good close. So I'm going to plug some of Quint's work here. Check out the busyleadershandbook.com. It's a fantastic, the book in and of itself, The Busy Leaders Handbook is a fantastic book on all of these topics of leadership, culture, and employee experience. The website, busyleadershandbook.com, that's going to actually give you a lot more insight and he updates it constantly with his blog. So you're going to always get fresh insight from Quint. All right. With that background alone, you might be able to see why I was so excited to talk to Quint. But on top of all of that, he's been applying these lessons around patient experience and highly technical details around how to run a successful culture. He's been applying those lessons to sports already with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. The Blue Wahoos have been making headlines far before the pandemic, uh, known as one of the most creative minor league baseball teams. But some of their work the last few months has really stood out to me. For one, they've leaned into being an events organization. Baseball is certainly the most important event that they host and it's core to their identity, but it's not the only event. Some of the more headlining grabbing things that they've done, things like renting parts of their stadium out on Airbnb or doing dinner and bingo night at the stadium and on the field during the weekends. From a customer experience perspective, they've certainly thought outside the box and made real revenue during this pandemic as a result. But in true Quint fashion, it's the internal culture that they have that allows their customer experience to flourish. We're going to talk about some of those things, like the fact that their GM is mostly measured not by revenue, but by how his employees feel about him. That is a concept that is foreign to 99% of us in sports. And that specific example, it, it really sums up why I wanted to have Quint on the show, because Quint knows better than anyone that customer experience is driven by culture and employee experience, and it's sustained by specific processes that drive design behaviors and systems that hold team members accountable to delivering upon those specific behaviors. Good leadership is not 
just about cheerleading. With that, let's jump into this interview with Quint Studer. Quint, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, David. I'm um, thrilled to be here. It's like I'm I'm so excited to be here. I always want it. Can you play some walk up music for me as I as I come on? I should have had that queued up. OK, let's start there. What would your walk up song be? Oh, somebody asked me that the other day and I always liked Loverboy. The kid is hot. You know, the kid's hot tonight. Something like that. You know, OK, uh, that's where you and I differ. I'm probably playing some DJ Khaled or something like that. But yeah. uh, we'll, we'll take it. Um, or, so, or a little bit of journey any way you want it, you know, some of those things. I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. Um, well, let's start here, kind of maybe a, a toss up and we'll see where this goes. You're originally from the Midwest, but you live in Pensacola and you've been in Pensacola for a long time. I live in Chicago, but I'm a Floridian. I got to ask, why Pensacola? What? How did you end up there? And And, and why have you stayed so long? Well, I think it's interesting because people assume, you know, I get introduced sometimes in Pensacola and they say, you know, Quinn came to Pensacola, fell in love with it. And I say, heck, some days I don't even like it all that much. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, basically I was working in Chicago at 68th in California around Inglewood at an inner city hospital there. And my goal was to be president of a hospital. And um, I, I got into healthcare a little late. So I was trying to play catch up. And a place in Pensacola, Florida, Baptist Healthcare, had read about what I'd done in Chicago. They benchmarked us. They went back and called me and about three months later and said, we've got this presidency open at our flagship hospital. Would you be interested? And I said, I'll be interested if we're going to be serious. If I'm just in this cattle call, I'm not interested. They said, you're the only candidate right now. So I went there because it was a job. I would have went to, mm. and almost anywhere. It's a job. And people say, well, when I think when you get to a city, no matter where it is, you should try to make it the best city it can possibly be. So my wife and I went there, but we had also moved quite a bit. In Wisconsin, we moved from one end of a town to another and because we thought we were going to be there a while. It might seem crazy, but that meant our, when our youngest son switched schools. Then we went to Chicago, so we switched schools. When we got to Pensacola, he was in his is really his third school in like four years. And, wow. and what happened was, I know it sounds crazy, but he kept playing and playing with the back of his hair and he had this big bald spot. And we realized we can't move him. Some kids can move. So I made that commitment that I don't care what happened, we're staying where we're staying because I don't want to psychologically move him again from schools. So you stay. And then, so we started our company and it just kept growing. And then you get enough investments in a community. So, so you stay there. Beautiful. Uh, and I, I think that ties into a couple things, right? One talks about a little bit about Studer Group and, and what you did there and how that got started, uh, but also what you're doing now in the Pensacola community around building that vibrant downtown and the whole area there. All right. So, Quint, let, let's talk a little bit about the things that you accomplished before moving down to Pensacola that the hospital really wanted to bring you in for. Um, and that was really kind of around this patient satisfaction, uh, taking it from close to zero and skyrocketing it up to hundred. Talk to us a little bit about your philosophy around patient satisfaction. And as we think about it in sports, right? Guest satisfaction or customer satisfaction, fan satisfaction. What, what are the good components of how you move that from, from, well, I think it was interesting, um, David, because, you know, when, when I got down to, to Chicago, they hired me to get more doctors using the hospital. 
You know, in Chicago, we had what you call splitters. It's doctors who are on multiple medical staffs, and they can sort of choose where their patients go. Most of the doctors on our medical staff were on there because some of their patients would end up in our emergency room. And they wanted to treat them. We weren't the first choice. So they hired me because I'd been pretty successful in Wisconsin working with physicians. So, of course, I come down and I talk to the docs and I tell them they should use our hospital. And I'm really excited because Dr. Evelyn Diaz, I, I told him when she, if she ever puts a patient in our hospital, let me know. And I, I got this text or email, whatever it is. Um, hey, Dr. Diaz put a patient here. I'm so excited. So I call her up to thank her. And she says, I want you to know I'll never put another patient in the hospital. And she told me that the patient and the family weren't happy. Well, all of a sudden I realized this is crummy. You know, I'm not going to be able to get these docs to put patients in. So, so I went to the hospital CEO, Mark Clement, and I wanted to basically tell him he needed to straighten out this patient satisfaction because if he doesn't, I'm not going to be able to do my job, which is at docs to, to do it. And so my thought was to be passive aggressive and get him to call in the chief nurse officer and tell her to shape up the patient sat. So I got done and I thought I did a pretty good job of convincing him we needed help. And he said, well, it seems like this is the most important thing to you. So I'm putting you in charge of patient satisfaction. And I thought he was trying to get rid of me at the time. And um, so I didn't understand it. I, I really didn't understand it. You know, it's all what they teach in kindergarten. It's common sense. Just treat people like you want to be treated. So I went up and started, called up Press Ganey, who did the measurement and asked them what you should do. And they said, the key is nursing. So I said, okay. So I went up to nurses and told them to treat people like they want to be treated. This is not rocket scientist, you know, it's like what they taught in kindergarten. And I went down to my office and I, the only behavioral change I created is I think they made gagging noises when I walked off the floor because I nauseated them. And, and then and then the results didn't move. So now I'm desperate. I mean, I am desperate. I, I moved to Chicago. I moved my family to Chicago. I want to be a hospital president. And here I'm a chief operating officer and I am going down the tubes. I'm a crash and burn moment. And I think when you get to a point where you sort of all of a sudden know what you don't know, my problem is I didn't know what I didn't know. So I got desperate. I, I actually drove to South Bend, Indiana and asked them, how does the survey tool work? they said, you're the first hospital person that's ever come to visit us. And they shared with me how it worked, the data behind it. There were some questions that were more important than, than others. And then um, I decided, I read in the Chicago Sun-Times that Southwest Airlines was coming to Midway Airport. And gosh, they were the customer service guru. And, and to get them, Chicago agreed to build them a management training center. So I went over there to their management training center the local hospital, 20 minutes away, how do you get this great customer satisfaction? And this is where they messed me up. They said, well, what are you doing with the employees? And I, so I went and talked to them, you know, common sense, what they teach in kindergarten. They looked at me and they said, you've got it all wrong. You've got to make, if you're not going to get your great customer satisfaction or patient satisfaction, you've got to get the employees with you. I said, well, what should I do? They said, go ask the employees, what can you do to make this a better place for them to work? And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. These are nurses. These are nurses. They'll, they'll chew me up and spit me out. But I was so desperate. I think when we're desperate, David, we're willing to do uncomfortable behavior. And I went up there and I said, what can I do to make this a better place? And they told me, 
one of the crazy things is back then, David, we were so worried about people making too many copies. They were going to bankrupt the hospital because so so people had copy keys. Every new unit had their own copy key. So the nurses said, don't you trust us? We have to go find the nurse that has the key and it takes so much time. Can we get rid of the keys? So we got rid of the keys. We made a big deal about it. We put them in the driveway. We smashed them, said, we trust you. And everywhere I went, employees told me what to do. And then they also said, our managers, you know, so we, we got, we just learned a lot. So we really turned it upside down. And we found that when you, you get employees with you, it doesn't mean patient sack goes up automatically, but now they're willing to do what you ask them to do. So I, I would, last story on this one, you know, I wanted the, the nurses to start calling patients when they left. They said, we don't have any time. So I said, um, well, what do you need anything? They said, we need some more blood pressure cuffs. They said, because we only have this many blood pressure cuffs. So we got to go find some to do this, do that. And I said, well, how many more blood pressure cuffs do you need? They said six. I said, if you get six, how much time will that save you? They said, probably per nurse a half hour. I said, could you give me 20 minutes of that 30 minutes to make a few phone calls? Yes. And then they make the phone calls. They end up loving it. Because the majority of the time, they hear great stuff from the patients on how they're doing. So I just had to reprogram and rehardwire my own brain on what counted. And that is, you have to have great employees, but it means you have to invest in your training, your managers and your supervisors. All right. So that leads me into this next question, which I'm sure you've gotten a hundred times. And I, I get a lot as well. And I, I got it at Disney Institute, get it now with engagement was this, there's this sense I think that managers have of if I want our guests or our customers to be happy, can you come train our people to be nicer? Right. And I think training is one component of it. But to, to the stories you just told, it's so much deeper. So when people say, used to tell you, hey, can you come train our people when you were with Studer Group? How, how would you respond to that? No. <laughs> just flat out no. Well, because that's not it. We've all been there, David. You and I go way back. Some outside person comes in. They call it smile school. They do blah, 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 blah. They may walk out. What we'll say is we will train you, the managers and the leaders, on how to develop your employees. Because if you have to develop them, then they make sure you're doing what you're teaching them. So if we tell the leader, for example, um, you know, you have to train your employees like at the ballpark. We, if some, I tell people in the community, come in and drop your hamburger, spill a drink, and count how long it takes before we give you a free burger and a free refill. Because our staff is trained to get it and fix it. But if I say that, it's one thing. But if their supervisor tells them that, then their supervisor has to do it. So we always believe seriously that you have to train the managers and the leaders on how to develop their staff because they're the ones that have to carry the message. So periodically, David, a, a manager would come to me when I was president of the hospital and they'd say, you know, Quinn, you're such a good communicator. Can you come explain it to my department? Because I think if you explain it, it'll be better. And I would say, I can, but then I don't need you anymore. <laughs> because then I'm doing, I'm doing your job. Now I'll help you. I'll work with you. I'll coach you. But eventually you've got to be able to do it. You know, it's different than baseball. The hitting instructor says, I can coach you, but I can't go up there and hit for you. So right. I, I, we're a big believer that the real lubricant is that middle management group. 
and you've got to invest in them. You got to. I will tell you, most of the people we hire, especially coming into baseball, in in a month they'll get more training and development than some of them have had their entire careers. I believe it. Sad. It's sad, but I believe it. Um, well, something that you just said, I mean, you use the example of somebody drops a, a hamburger, or a drink, how long does it take till it gets, uh, till it gets replaced? There's a specific system and process in place that you guys have at the stadium to resolve that. And I think that's where so much of this comes in is understanding, Hey, it's training's one thing, but we have to have systems and processes in place that allow us to deliver that great service. Um, so can you, I guess, talk a little bit about, the roles that systems and processes play. Cause I think those things have always been really important for you. I think about rounding as a specific system and yeah. process that you no, guys had. I'd love to. And let, let me walk back and I'll tell you a little bit of where we think the key is. We think there's three quadrants or three circles of performance. The first circle is, does everybody have clarity of goals? So, so the question to ask yourself, is it possible for someone to underperform and still get a good evaluation? If the answer is yes, you don't have clarity of goals. So we have very tight clarity of goals. Every one of our managers know exactly what they have to accomplish. But then we say, if we're going to accomplish these goals, what skills does a manager need? So we have very specific 15 skills that every manager must acquire in order to be successful in our organization. We train to that. The third thing is, what are, what are some very key behaviors that you must do? So, for example, our employees hire their coworkers. So the manager can suggest employees, but the people that make the final decision is who's going to be working for them. That's what we call a must have. You know, we have a must have that we survey like we measure. Are we measuring? We're so crazed on measurement. So we have net promoter score. We have all that. So we have a rule that if somebody's not happy within so many within 24 hours, they will get a personal contact. Every fan gets my cell phone number when they are at the game in case they need anything or have any complaint. I learned that in hospitals. Every patient always got my personal phone number if they needed anything. Th then we look at um, performance feedback. This We just finished mid-year evals. But then we get to where you're talking about. So we align goals, align behavior, but then align processes. And one of my favorite books is E-Myth Revisited because it talks about the fact that franchises outperform non-franchises. And for people like me that run all these small businesses, you go, oh, oh, oh. But all I have to do is look at our line by our drive through coffee spot, the brew through, and drive down the street to Starbucks and I can see the difference. And because why? Consistency. So we spend so much time working um, in our business, we don't work on it. So what you're talking about is standing operating procedures. So we call them SOPs like everyone does. We actually have days that managers have to spend the day updating their SOPs. So we know everything because that's the consistency and standardization. Then the sixth element, which is all about aligning processes, is truly they need to be understand, whether it be Lean, Six Sigma, we have to be skilled in process improvement because usually it's not working harder, it's working smarter. What steps can we take out? How can we make this easier? So I, I'm with you, and I think that's where um, so staring operating procedures, so everybody inherits them. So our Airbnb, everybody knows exactly how it operates. Our movie night, how it operates, those types of things. I, we can go in a hundred different directions now. Um, 
but uh, I mean, a couple of things on that one big fan of SOGs and or SO, we call them SOGs, actually standard operating guides. I think it gives us a little more coverage from a legality perspective. I learned that at Disney. Um, but yeah, SOPs, SOGs, I'm, I'm shocked at most sports teams that they don't have them written down, that it's, it lives on Larry's laptop or it's in Susie's head on how to do parking or how to run the concession stand. And for as much turnover as there is in sports, that's shocking to me because you're wasting so much time and money ultimately on trying to recreate those wheels. If you don't have those things written down. I think for me, me, David, I had to look at my own ego and I, I think that had to, again, it's all leadership's an inside job. It's me fixing me. And I had to say, okay, why do I like people coming to me? Well, gee, it makes me feel powerful. They come to me for the answer. Now I feel needed. And um, so part of it is giving up control. I tell our managers, the number one leadership skill you need to have is ask somebody, what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? So I, I think when you, you start creating these things, you're, you're giving like, you know, you, your whole company, you're giving employees the chance to control their own destiny. And for some managers, they're a little scared of that. Am I going to be needed? Am I going to be replaced? They get a thrill out of giving, being the answer person. And many of them got promoted because they um, they were good employees. They had solutions. But when you become a manager, your job is to actually get your employees to give you the solutions rather you being the solution. And I think that's a hard adjustment for people. So I I think the reason we don't have standing operating procedures is number one, many people just don't know about them because they don't get, we make everyone read E-Myth Revisited. And it's, you know how hard it is to get people to read books that I haven't written anyway, because, (laughs) you know, the ego, but no, it's a great book. I I recommend it more than my book. It's a quick read too. You can read it in a weekend, easy. Yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, we own a coffee shop and people like having the dog tray, the water bowl out on the sidewalk. It's psychologically people like you if you have water for dogs. Some days we had it. Some days we didn't. Why? Because we didn't have a standing operating procedure. That's part of the opening. So I I think you have to have them, but you've got to bury your ego because you're not going to be as needed. But that's okay. Because you should be talking about where the organization needs to go next, not managing the day-to-day operations right now. A hundred percent. I think that is a big mindset shift in the sports and entertainment industry of your role is to move the organization forward, not to operate it as is, right? You want to try to automate as much as it is, make it easy as possible to operate current state where you can really add value as an employee is when you're thinking about how do we make this better? How do we move it into the future and standard operating guidelines? Again, it's a big mindset shift to be able to do something like that. Something else I, I want to move on to that you hit on a little bit. And one of the things I, I love about all of your work is this focus on metrics, but focusing on leading metrics, not lagging metrics, focusing on really the key metrics that are important. And you and I talked a little bit about uh, your general manager at the Blue Wahoos and, and how he's measured. Um, so can you talk to our, talk to the audience a little bit about the importance of metrics, what types of metrics you're measuring. You mentioned net promoter score. Um, go into that a little bit for us. Sure. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, when, when I was on the Studer Group, which I don't own anymore, one of our big clients was Cleveland Clinic, and we got them to eight metrics. I said, if we can get Cleveland Clinic to eight metrics, we should be able to get other places. That doesn't mean they have a lot of other metrics, 
But as an executive level, if we hit these things, we win. So when you look at metrics and the Heath brothers in their book, Switch, and um, talk about the fact that 80% of failures lack a clarity. Um, when, when people interview for a job, and I'm off, but people like this, I, I say, ask this question. Say, if you offer me this job and I accept it in one year from now, I've achieved the goals. Tell me specifically what those goals are. And it's amazing how many people say, well, um, um, people will be happier. Well, how do you measure happiness? So we, we look at clarity, we look at goals, and we break them down into, into five key areas. You know, what's our service goal? So we measure at the ballpark, we'll talk sports. We measure certainly our fan satisfaction. We measure our sponsor satisfaction. We measure our group satisfaction. Now that parlays into retention of season ticket holders, retention of sponsors, retention of groups. But those are three quick indicators. So if you're a sponsor, we just don't wait till the end of the year. Throughout the day, year, we're talking about, do you feel you've gotten for your 25,000 billboard, have you gotten what you felt? And if you don't, tell us and we'll make up the difference. You have a money back guarantee with everything. Same with groups, same with season ticklers. When it comes to quality, we measure per cap. That's our big one. Because we think if we have quality um, with that, then you're going to want more food, more beverage. We have some, and per cap for your listeners, is how much money does a person spend once they get into your stadium? So we look at per cap and we measure, make sure we're not just elevating it because we're raising prices. So we take that into effect. So we look at per cap. And then if we, we look at some other things with quality, we might pull something from our fan survey that might hit on cleanliness because we think we're the one we have what we have full time washroom monitors at our stadium because we want the cleanest bathrooms in sports. So we have full time people. All they do is clean bathrooms because you don't want a messy bathroom and you can't manage it going in every other inning or every fourth inning. So that's quality under under um, under finance or, you know, we look at our we look at revenue over expenses like like anyone else. So we've got a service, a quality of finance people we look at. We we measure employee engagement twice. We use an outside company. And we use we do it once in October for our full time staff, and we actually do it in July at All Star Break for our seasonal staff because we think they're very very important. So we probably spend thirty to thirty five thousand dollars a year measuring employee engagement, and most people wouldn't do that. But you know, when I first started Student Group, I when I got up to eight employees, I measured employee engagement, and the company that said we've never been asked to measure it with eight employees. Shouldn't you wait till you have more employees? I said no. If I don't keep these eight happy, I might not get more employees. So we measure employee engagement. Then we also will look at, depending on the person, turnover. For some small departments, we don't look at turnover. But our bigger departments, turnover is a big deal. They will look at growth. And, and looking at growth, we basically look at, are we growing sponsorship? Are we growing groups? And are we growing attendance? So we have about 10 or 11 metrics, but it doesn't mean you have all the metrics. As a person, you might have a few. So we have a full-time event people that don't do baseball, they just do events. So their their metrics are going to be a little bit different. And then we weight them too, David. The big mess up is people have metrics, but they don't weight them. So people don't know what's the most important. So with our food service people, per cap could be 50% of your evaluation. So we make sure that you can't avoid, if you have a year where your employee engagement isn't good, that could be 60% of your next year, but it could be 10%. 
So fan satisfaction, our net promoter score is actually higher than Disney or Ritz right now. And so we don't, we don't put a big percentage on fan satisfaction because we've got that nailed, but we might put it into something else. So now you need clarity of goals, but you need to weight it because what do people always want to know? Tell me what you want to accomplish and tell me what the priorities are. And if you don't get this right, it's like getting in a boat, not having your longitude and latitude right. Or you move real fast, but you end up in the wrong country. I, it's it's so important, and I love how methodical you guys are with measuring it, especially around the things that are are maybe underutilized in in the sports and entertainment world. This this focus on the employee and measuring them. Uh, it's it's just something that I feel like sports and entertainment organizations can really do a much better job of is spending time understanding what is our employee churn, our employee turnover rate? How much money are we spending? Because when you go in and you peel back the numbers and you think about how long is that role sitting open and how much wasted time is that happening? Uh, how long does it take to go out and recruit someone? How much time do we have to spend onboarding someone? That metric alone, we could spend a full podcast talking about. Oh, th- think about your group salespeople. So you got this group salesperson and they're selling your groups. And we, we all have learned, we were very lucky. I had an independent team for an affiliated team and I was in the same league with the St. Paul Saints. And we benchmark, we went to Dayton, we, we go and we learn. And St. Paul Saints taught us and Dayton that taught us how to do groups. So if I have an employee who's selling groups, they know the churches, they know the rotary. When that person leaves, now I know I want them in the CRM. I know I want all that stuff there. But when they leave, I've got a new introduction going on. And as you know, from your work, where we're vulnerable are losing accounts is either when they have a new person or we have a new person. And that's when you lose accounts. So I'm a huge believer in hanging up. You know, I, I tell people it's not about recruitment. It's about retention. And, and when I when I got to Baptist, we had a 30 something percent turnover. And I said to people, we're good at selection. I mean, no, we're great at selection because we're doing it all the time. Our issue is retention, not recruitment. And and in Pensacola, where we look at it, we don't have a growing market. We don't have all these new peop, new companies coming into town. Now we're growing a little bit, but nothing. We've got a. It's all about retaining. You know, I call it. We got to hold and grow. That's what we call it. We hold and grow. That's sort of our two point strategy. So, Quint, uh, when we think about employee turnover, one area that a lot of sports and entertainment teams have a ton of that employee churn is that frontline staff, that game day worker, the ticket taker, the usher, the hot dog vendor. Do you guys barely have any of that at the Blue Wahoos? Talk to us a little bit about that demographic of, of your employee. Well, I think we've always taken it real seriously because, again, everybody counts. I go back to my healthcare days. When I asked the nurses who the most important person was in the whole hospital, they didn't say, oh, you, Quint Studer. They said our unit coordinator, the unit secretary. When she's gone, we're screwed. So we basically wanted our unit secretaries to never leave. And so we paid them a little more, gave them a lot of training. We, When I was there, the, at the three years I was there, we never lost a unit secretary because we treated them like gold because that's how important they were. Well, in, in, in baseball, I think we're a little spoiled or in sports. So many people want to work in it. We don't have these open spots. We can pop somebody in. But we miss the fact the loss opportunity with turnover. So groups, we're very lucky. We had an independent team here for nine years. I was in the same league with the St. Paul Saints. American Association. And I mean, these guys are geniuses. So we went to St. Paul. 
And they said groups, groups, groups. And then we went to Dayton because they have good groups when we became affiliated. And so let's look at groups. Groups are key. So we have group salespeople. They know the church leaders. They know the Rotary. They know all these people. And it's very vital for them to know them. So every year you want to sell groups. Now, you're going to lose an account for two reasons. If let's pretend that we're providing good service. It's either the person that books you leaves or the person you had doing the booking leaves. So why do you want to lose those people? And I think we pay a little bit more than almost anybody else because we understand the cost of churn. So, yeah, you might fill that position right away because so many people want to work there. But how long does it take you to get that person up and running? You know, we, we found for unit secretaries, it took six months for a unit secretary to be where the last one was at. We feel the same way with our ticketing people. So I'll give you an example. We have a lot of ushers. We have ushers. We probably overstaff compared to other places by 30 percent. But we also do quite well financially. So we have a lot of ushers. And I think we have 96 people that are in some type of usher role. We will never hire more than four or six because that's all the openings we have. And normally, let me tell you why we have them. Knee injury, something happens in their life that they can't do the job, but they still want to do the job. We one time our first year thought, wouldn't it be fun to move our ushers around? We did it for one game. And the fans said, no, I want Joe. Joe's my usher. I want Latasha. Latasha's my usher. I was stunned when I first got into baseball that they just sort of accepted churn because you have so many people wanting to do the job. But but they again from healthcare, you you know, employee turnover creates more infections. So I, I'm just a big deal that I, I want to not lose people unless they're going to a job that's better. And we're very much for that, but we want to have conversations. So we tell people. If you're looking for a job, let us know because we'll help you get it. Don't surprise us. So one of our people this year was interviewing for a AAA job. We knew it and we're very supportive. And he had come from another organization. He was stunned at how supportive. In fact, he acted like, well, don't you want me? So no, we want you. But if you want to go there, we'll help you get there. Well, he came back and said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. He said, you know, I'm going to stay. Now, he might leave someday. And if he does, great. Our goal, in fact, he wants to be in the major league someday. So we are actually are providing him with opportunities that will entice a major league team to hire him because we're giving him things to introduce him to major league teams. So this year we redid our whole locker room. We put him in charge of it because that meant he was talking to the Minnesota Twins all the time. And they got to know him. And that wasn't his normal job, locker room. But we wanted to give him a skill set that would make him um, attractive to major league teams. Well, this, this goes back to ego. And we talked about that as a leader, right? Uh, where if you can put your ego aside and really care about the employee, really truly care about the employee's well-being, when they do leave, they become a big fan for life and they'll become a promoter of your organization. And they'll tell their friends and their family about how great it was working for the Blue Yahoos or whatever organization it is that they're leaving. And so while it's scary to say, hey, we want to set you up to take that next job, you have to do it because... And if you do, they'll probably stay with you a little bit longer than they intended as well because they know you really care about them. 
I, I, when I and when I was at my last year at Baptist Hospital, we had over five thousand hospital leaders tour our hospital because of the reputation we created. And when they'd come in, I'd say, "If you see any managers that you'd like to hire, let me know, and I'll arrange an interview for you." They said, "We don't want to steal your employees." Says, "You're not stealing them. If they find a better opportunity, I want them to have it." And they were stunned. And I said, "Plus, if they know I'm doing that, do you know how many people want their job because they know we're going to help them get that." get that next job. So, so you've got to, you know, if, if you really, our mission statement is to improve the quality of life for people in the community, but it's also improve the quality of life for people to work for us. So why wouldn't I want them to have a better job? We, our radio announcer, Tommy Thrall was our blue Wahoo radio announcer, like the first seven years. Okay. He went from double A and now he took Marty Brendan's place with the Cincinnati Reds. And I think we had, a when I, they called me for the reference on him, I, I explained, you know, they said, oh, we feel bad taking Tommy. I said, no, no, I want Tommy there. Here's what Tommy can bring you. And now he's with the Cincinnati Reds. We're excited about that. The other thing we do, Dave, that I think is very unique. We also believe that the scouts are very important to our reputation because we, 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 we joke that, that we want people, we want our players to be so happy when the major league call tells them they're getting moved up. They can say, do I have to come right away? Can I spend a few more days down here? But when our scouts, we have a scout connoisseur. So Kevin Sauce, an ex-major leaguer, is our scout concierge. So when a scout comes in, he greets them, makes sure they know where they're at. They go to our season ticket dining room where they're told that they have free food as long as they're at the, the ball game. Um, they get a a letter from me welcoming them with my cell phone number if they need anything while they're in town. Then they get a $30 credit card to go use downtown for breakfast or coffee or lunch before they come to the game. We do that with every scout because our belief is that scouts create the word of mouth. So when scouts go to other places, one of our favorite stories is we, we have a scout that scouts for a major league team and he has not the not the twins or when we were at the Reds, but he has another, all the affiliates of this major league team that he scouts. Okay. He has never seen them play in their home stadium. Cause when he's supposed to be watching them, he comes to Pensacola to watch them because he gets food. He gets well taken care of and he gets a $30 credit card. Cause these stuff scouts sometimes don't get that. And I'm sure other teams might do it, but we just treat, we want everyone to walk out of there with a wow experience that I can't believe this is, this is going on. And that's why we're doing so many things without baseball. No, we just did Eagles in the outfield, which was our knockoff of top golf. We we had 600 people show up Saturday and Sunday to golf and hit balls from the berm onto the infield and hit targets. And some people told us it was more fun than top golf, you know? So we want to just, we want to build emotional bank accounts every day. And your, your background does that. We're either going to build, we're either putting, a, as Stephen Covey used to say, we're either doing a, a deposit or a withdrawal. So every day we want to put a deposit in our employee's bank account. We want to put a deposit in our um, scout's bank account, in our customer's bank account. Um, I just sent a thing out, a column, I wear a weekly column for newspapers and our people get it. And one of them was on mid, mid-year conversations. And I got a note from Danielle, who's an administrative assistant in human resources today. And she said, thank you for building my emotional bank account. And I thought, oh, that was pretty cool. She's using using the term. So we're, we're very straight. Our, our goal is to put a lot deposits 
in your bank account as possible because there will be withdrawals. There will be. We're, we're actually, every year we do a big party during the season for all our employees. They come in, they bring their families. We're still doing it this year, even if though we don't have a season. Well, the, the amount of things that you guys are doing to create those emotional or those deposits in the emotional bank account right now, even during COVID is really impressive. I mean, I, I look at what you guys have done and it's, it's almost like you've created this almost events company uh, at the stadium with the blue Wahoos, where again, you're, you're putting the, the venue up on Airbnb, you're hosting graduations, you're doing bingo nights. I was on the website earlier. You've got dinner at the stadium on Thursday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right? Uh, I guess talk to us a little bit about the strategy there about how you guys have been able to kind of change from being a baseball company to being really an events or a company that creates emotional experiences. Thank you. We, we always had an event person. So we've always had an event person named Shannon Reeves and she's very talented. Um, but looking back, the challenge was sometimes she would hold back a little bit because she knew these baseball people were so busy. She was afraid of over, you know, overworking them, things like that. So when we got into this around opening day, when we knew we weren't going to play, I met with Jonathan, who's our president, who's talented as heck. And I said, are we ready for opening day? Yep. We got our merchandise. We got everything ready. So that means if we do play baseball, we're prepared. Yep. So what are we going to do now? So let's put that away. So let's turn ourselves into an event company. So he actually sat down and restructured the whole the whole company. So we didn't just say, okay, we're baseball now. Because if you don't restructure it, people want to keep doing what they did. So, so we, we have a food and beverage department that we grew a little bit. We have a event department. So we have 24 full-time employees. So we put eight of them into our event company. You now work events. We have eight of them in our Airbnb. You now run the Airbnb. We have a, a group of them that are in what we call operations, which is cleaning it, making sure it's clean, making sure things are fixed. Then we have our finance people, about three there. So now they're restructured into this. We're an event company. And, and we have so much success that next year we're going to keep some people only in events. They're not going to do baseball. Because that means when this team's on the road, my gosh, we should be doing everything we're doing right now. We just put the lot. Well, now we have our visiting locker room as an Airbnb, too, because we're so filled up on the home locker room. So we got the visiting locker room. Well, now we're saying, well, during the season, we can't do Airbnb in the home locker room. But, you know, we can do it in the visiting locker room. And that's that's pretty, pretty cool. So, um, yeah, we've had unbelievable amounts of success. We've actually had, you know, people from all over the country come to this Airbnb. We had a million people hit our website within the first week of our Airbnb. We had 77,000 hit it within the first two hours after it was on ESPN, CBS, NBC, Fox and Friends, Today Show. So it's been everywhere. We had a camera crew from Japan do a story on it, Germany do a story on it. Um, so now next year, we, we're going to stay with the event company because a stadium is a fixed cost. So we need to do be everything we can be doing to fill that fixed cost. So we've had a ball with, with, I, I tell people I've had more fun this year than, than I've had during baseball years. So I, I got to ask this question. You, you talked about the mission of, of the blue Wahoos and it's, it's much bigger than a 
just a baseball team in terms of what the mission was. It, can you can you tell us what the mission was again? I heard you say this. The, about mission, the, is, the mission is to improve the quality of life for people in the community. So, so, so okay. if that's the mission, I guess, does that partially drive this bigger desire to, we got to fill the stadium 365? No, it's not partially. It's completely drives it. So for example, um, we, we, we like everybody else, we're going to lose some money this year when you don't have baseball. So I'm not, nobody's going to pretend that having movies and fireworks is going to soup, you know, make what you would on a Saturday. Let's, let's not be silly. However, we got into this and, and we looked at like everyone else furloughing employees. And we, we had, let's, if we furloughed everyone and just kept it to the basics, we'd have six employees, not 24, 25, whatever we have. Um, if we, keep some. So we had three scenarios and every one of them involved layoffs and furloughs. So my wife and I met with Jonathan and she went through all the scenarios because we asked him to. Then we got all done. We said, well, let me see. Does improving the quality of life for the community benefit if we let our employees go? It seems not to. So we're going to keep everyone. And we're going to keep them. We're going to bite the bullet. We've had eight good financial years. This is a year we're not going to have a good one. But it's we think it's more important for our employees that they know we we keep them. So we had two groups of employees, Dave. We sort of have these people that have been with us forever. Donna Kirby, they've been, you know, they've been with there a long time. Well, we want to say thank you to them. Then we have a whole group of young people. We have J.P. Stanzel, just got his master's in sports management from the University of Arkansas. This is his first job, first job in sports. Do we want him, his first job, to be laid off? Doesn't that take some of his passion away? And I've never, I, I liked the book years ago called Working Without a Net. And it mm -hmm. says that we have a reciprocal relationship. So when an employer wants this loyalty from employees, my, my feeling is employers want loyalty, but sometimes they don't give the same loyalty they want. So a reciprocal relationship means that I owe you loyalty every day and you owe me loyalty every day. But I can't ask you for more than that. So we just came to the conclusion and we're just fortunate enough to say we're going to do that. And then what we do is we collect their hours because we know we're not as busy. Then hours that are left over, we then release them to go work for not-for-profits in the community. So it's sort of like mission work this year. So all of a sudden, I'm working at Mana Food Bank. I'm at Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Now I'm really getting to know the community. And I bet you the most feedback I get from people in our community is, thank you so much for what you're keeping the, keeping the stadium. We actually, so far this year, have had more events at the stadium than we've ever had on baseball years. Hey guys, thank you so much to listening and thanks to technical difficulties. We didn't get to wrap the show like we normally would. So I just wanted to say thank you all once again for tuning into another episode and thanks to Quint for coming on and having some patience with us. If you'd like to follow along Quint's journey, check out the busy leaders handbook.com or follow Quint on Twitter at Quint underscore Studer. We'll see y'all later. Thanks again for tuning in. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, 
We're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.